Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 251. And in today's, I'm going to make it be basically a continuation of the puppy stuff and the prior podcast, which was titled uh, Bringing the Point Out in Your Dog. I'm going to take it to the next step uh, because puppy people are getting to the next step. And also just so people know exactly what, what's going on here. So there's always been in the, in the American Pointing Lab world uh, an evolution of this. And long time ago, and people don't care about long time ago, I know, but there were some really, really amazing dogs that just really pointed well. And then there were some dogs that uh, did not, but they were uh, campaigned and in the early days, if you, in the master level, if you pointed one bird for 10 seconds and were steady on that bird, no matter what you did on the rest of them, you could pass. So there's some title dogs back in our foundation dogs that would never, I would barely certify today. And then there are some back there that would be four X's and triple crown dogs as well. So I want to make sure that's understood. But people's idea of what a pointing retriever should do is has changed <laughs> and it has slowly evolved and I think it still has a little ways to go. I see now that I've been out a lot judging and stuff I get to see a lot of what's out there in the country and I'll, as I've said before on these podcasts there are some phenomenally talented dogs out there and one of the things that we can all do uh, to keep this going and improving, and we have a lot of credibility. I still hear, you know, in certain parts of the country, oh, if I have a pointing lab, everyone's making jokes. That is f so much less than it ever was because there's so many of them, you know, that are running field trials and running every level of hunt tests and then running our stuff to the highest level. So, you know, that's just going to kind of go away. It does not like a lot of the more conventional retriever people think it does not detract it used to it used to if you got a dog say hey i got a pointing lab and it would point but then you throw some, a duck in the water and it didn't want to go that it there was a lot of that in the old days uh anymore because of the good job that people have done that's not the case but to bring to to continue to evolve and improve these guys um I think that there, at least I want to throw out some food for thought. I don't ever tell people what to do on this stuff, but I'd like to throw out some food for thought on uh, just on all of this. And in a couple weeks, I think, I am giving a seminar, an Upland seminar up in uh, Oregon uh, with the Northwest Pointing Lab Club. So if any of y'all are up in that direction, uh, contact them if you'd like to go because we're going to, there's a bunch of good pointing labs up there there's a bunch of them that are qualified for the triple crown that i know are planning on going some really good dogs and i'm talking about good retrievers like master national finisher type dogs and also four-time triple crown qualifying dogs so top of the line in the pointing lab world but i'm going to go up there and talk to these people on a slightly different approach than i have before we're going to do a lot of the how-to but I want to bring something out it, that I think is important for our puppy people developing their future pointer and uh, people that are kind of in the middle of it now. And sometimes you, you're stuck and your dog does pretty good most of the time, but 
not always. <laughs> and so, and it's like, I don't know what to do. And so you ask this guy and that guy, and everyone always has your answer for you, of course. But I'm going to talk about training approach and just a little bit different way of looking at this. I had talked in a previous podcast just a few ago after I think I'd been judging up in Michigan. I'd been talking about how good the dogs were, the talent, the natural point, you know, and most of them passed. Most of them did, just a few didn't. Um, one person got real mad because we made them continue to hunt their way back after they'd already had several very good bird contacts. And on the last bird contact, the dog caught the bird. And that this handler was very upset because if we had to just let her leash up and go back, then that never would have happened. So she was putting the pro her dog's failure on the judges. And I understand that. <laughs> I've been failed many times, and I'm always wrong. I get that. But at a master level in the American Pointing Lab Association, catching birds should be just a thing they don't do because they know not to. So even if you don't like the circumstances under which your dog did that, your dog did that. And that is, you know, that's something that in people's minds should be something that your dog understands is not part of the game anymore. Which brings me to my point on this. So for retriever people that have a fully trained retriever, okay, and your dog runs blinds well, and I'm going to assume that we're talking about a master level dog, a finish level dog, HRC, a master hunter level, AKA PLA, you know, four time or at least master, grandmaster level. I'm talking about dogs like that. When you train them to do the trick retriever stuff, right? Which is like be steady. And it's, uh, it's also like on a blind. When I say go, you go. If I have to say go multiple times, we leash up and leave because the dog has to understand what its job is. And when I blow the whistle, you have to stop. And you have to look at me and wait however long. And it really should be that, you guys. Don't have them where if you don't cast in the first second and a half, they go. That's not a well-trained dog where they sit there and wait for you to give a cast and at least give their best, best effort to carry out your cast. Right, we train that at, routinely, right? When you say back or whatever you say, the dog knows it's got to go. It knows it's got to go straight. It knows pretty straight, right? Its version is straight. And it knows to keep going until it either finds the bird or you stop it to make a moderate direction change. They know all that. You don't have to, once they're trained, you don't have to go in and continuously remind them about sitting. You don't blow the sit whistle and then say sit five times. Or blow the sit whistle and then blow it again and then blow it again. And when you send your dog on a blind, you don't say back and then back and then continue to tell it. That's not a trained dog. And everybody in the retriever world would know that. And then we take out all these retriever people who are very good at doing that and you take them over in the upland field and now we're hanging on to the saddle horn for dear life and we're constantly on, the, not everybody, but it's still very, it's more common than the, op, the, the, the not this way. 
you know, they're constantly reeling them in and keeping them, getting them out of back in bounds, and then they're too far, or they're not, and they're letting them just go wild, which I don't know anyone would do that, but uh, in an, at a test. And so they're just constantly on riding the dog and riding the dog and telling it what to do and telling it to get in closer and telling it to change direction and whatever it is they're telling it, telling it to come back in. And then when the dog goes on point, you get one of two things, generally. Either everybody freezes because if you move, the dog might move a little bit and then the count restarts and we don't want that. So you just, to make sure everything's okay, you freeze. And then when you get your your 10-second count, which, again, I, 10 seconds, it, it could be three minutes. Sometimes it's way minutes and minutes and minutes. But you get your 10-second count. And then uh, then the usually the next thing is they go running up into the heel position like they're running a mark. So they're right next to the dog so they can control the dog, so they can make sure everything is going to be the way, so they can remind them, you know, to remain seated, not to go, and all this stuff. And so a lot of times you hear, whoa, two, three, 12, 22 times. Sometimes people are yelling it, you know, or they're real drawn out. I don't get the whoa, about six syllables to it. But they're continuously telling their dog to do what it's supposed to do. Now, they wouldn't do that on a blind. You don't do it on a mark, on hunt them up, hunt them up. You don't do that. You, you send the dog, and then you let it go do its thing. And so, but the, the people that are combining the pointing and retrieving, sometimes they're very good over there on the retrieving part, and they come over here, and now they're worried, and they're trying to control stuff, which, of course, indicates that the dog isn't really fully trained out there, and that they're very, very insecure. So all you puppy guys and all you young, young dog guys, um, train to not go into that world uh, to begin with, would be what I'd say. One, be aware of it. Be aware of the way that you're going to train your dog on all the retriever stuff. You're going to force fetch him, right? Fetch means grab it. It doesn't mean after the fifth time I say it, if you'd reach for it, I would be so happy. Thank you. It's not that. Fetch means take it grab it, pick it up. And then you move forward from that onto all the more advanced training, you know, where there's other forms of pressure other than an ear pinch or however you do it. And that turns into back, which means, all right, now go get it. It's way out there. And way out there, it could be 50 yards. It could be 380 yards. It could be 400 yards. It doesn't matter. It's just go because I told you to go. So I'm going to suggest that people think about approaching their upland the same way and to do that in at least in my mind takes a, a certain way of of looking at it so all the little puppies all the, and on facebook i've had a lot of people ask to get on there to, to watch those things um and i got to encourage my public pub, puppy people to keep posting those things and post the bad stuff Post the grabbing the bird and running away with the bird or whatever you've got because that's all part of the deal, and it's very good for people to see that. So when their dog doesn't, they don't think that they're the only ones and there's something wrong with their dog. So to ultimately wind up with a dog that, whether you're at an APLA test or you're hunting grouse or you're hunting quail or you're hunting pheasants, whatever it is, or you're running a test, 
You want a dog that, one, knows that they are with you, Team Y, that they are to look for the bird in a certain connected and efficient way, not by quartering, air quotes here, right, but by using the wind, gathering data, and locating birds that way. So it all depends on wind direction, not geometry in front of you. Um, they know how to, they know the different kinds of scent, right? They know different kind of bird scents. They know something, well, that's a skunk, <laughs> that's a rabbit, I'm not in here for fur. They already know, they know to smell where maybe some birds nested down for the night. And now they're gone. They know that scent. They know fresh scent. They know fresh scent enough to track. They know move. All oh, there's so so much, right? These little six-month-old guys, their mind can't even hold all of that information and data, right? So you need to acquire that, and the only way you acquire that is by routine exposure. So one of the things that I always have always said and done in practice as a professional trainer was I would always do upland every week. Unless I had a dog that was going crazy wild or was trying to, running off with the birds or whatever, and I had some control issues that I needed to address, I'd pull them out. But in general, I did upland every week. Just the same way that I would do blinds every week. Not once, you know, maybe three or four times we would do blinds. And maybe three or four or five times marks. Right? So you do marks and blinds, all your advanced people. Right to so that you've established the foundation, you've gone through your handling stuff, you've gone through swim by, you've gone through all that. You, they know what go and stop and take casts is, and then you do have to do a lot of practice. You can't just put them through the basics, get them through the T and swim by, and then go pass a master. Cannot do it because all you have are the fundamental tools. Now you have to take those tools and you have to go teach them. Sometimes blinds are like this, and sometimes blinds are like that, and sometimes blinds are hooked up with marks, and sometimes you get the mark before you, or the blind before you get the mark. All the trick stuff, right? You have to practice, practice, practice. And so the people that are competing, as much as their life allows, train as often as possible before they go compete. And it's no different with the upland thing, which is why I used to do it once a week. Not and not twice a week. I, you know, there's people that don't train it at all, and then we're a month or two months out of the test, so we're going to do it three times a week. Oof, that's like never running any blinds, and then just running a bunch of blinds right before the event. It that always backfires. Or, I mean, it's just you don't have the thing in balance. The dog is overwhelmed with one bunch of stuff, and the other part's getting all rusty over to the side. So. You do blinds frequently, you do marks frequently, as frequently as you can. As a professional, that was every day, at least something, or some days maybe just water blinds. You know, some days marks, just marks, some days a combination. And in the upland, it's the same way. Because you want upland behavior with your dog to be second nature, to be habit, and to be understood. So you're not going out in an upland field whether it's hunting or testing, hanging on for dear life, hoping that the woe holds today, or hoping that the, that the sit whistle holds today. You just, you don't have to do that, but, you ha but you're going to acquire that same response just like you do when you have a dog that runs blinds well, because you spend a lot of time working on it. So 
the upland is the same thing. So unless we got a problem we got to deal with and we've pulled out of the upland field for a while, upland every week is a really good thing. Even though a lot of times when you're doing it, you might not be feeling like there's progress made. And that's not true. Just because the dog is not advancing into the finished level at the you know, rate you would like, the dog is learning all kinds of things. And it, you don't want to use the same field and the same bird in the same spot, obviously, right? You've got to do this in different places. You've got to subject them to different smells, situations, terrain, stuff like that. You've, you've got to do that um, so that it's not, otherwise they know how to hunt their backyard, backfield, and then you get them someplace else and they don't know how to uh, adjust for scenting. You know, when you train out here in Colorado where we have lots of sage and I think a lot of Oregon is this way too in Washington, we got sage and sometimes you have grass and sometimes you don't and, and it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, to do your bird planting and then you go run in Minnesota where, or Michigan where the grass is up to your knees or your waist or your shoulders or whatever it is and so dogs that hunt out here no matter how good they are they're like I can't smell anything <laughs> it's what is this business so you need to expose your dog to the most you can to a variety of conditions so that they get to learn that you got to be careful um, about your bird planting if you always plant birds, you always get your bird, bird bird gloves on and you walk out there and you plant your birds and you come back in. With repetition, your dog learns to just track you out there. And when they get that glove smell, if it, they hit that before the bird, they know there's a bird there, right? So you got to be careful. Now we're teaching them, uh, um, what, what do I want to say, etch-a-sketch, bird hunting, you know? And you, so be careful. If you do things very routinely the same way, that's the habit that they get. So you have to be aware that it has to be different. has to be, you know, that's just very helpful. And I'm talking about now a real pointing dog, not somebody that can just squeak by in a test. Or if you, like, want to finish the triple crown, let's just say that. So you want your dog to be exposed to varying conditions and varying stuff. You don't always have to use the same kind of bird. I know that's very difficult. Um, you don't want great big birds with little bitty guys, but you want to give them this understanding of the, f and, and the field and the conditions and humidity and the barometric pressure, which is a factor, and the breeze and the cover and the, how wet things are, how dry things are, the state of the plants. You know, in the fall when they're starting to dry out and they're poofing off all the pollen and dead plant cells and all the stuff that they have that you know that goes in and coats their nose up a lot when they're breathing heavy because it's hot or they've run a lot right then they kind of skip the nose and the air goes right in the mouth and into the lungs so they don't get the scent so many things like that that if you can get your dog familiar with that and experiencing that without ever overheating them or endangering them obviously okay then that's that's a very good thing. So you want them to feel very comfortable out in that world and use their skills. One of the things young dog puppy people, when you're out in the field and, when I, and you're taking the walk, okay, that's where all the time, every time you take the walk every day, you're teaching them, you're with me. 
you're with me. You can't go chasing the the rabbit out of the field. You know, you do whatever it takes. You have to have a cord and step on it sometimes to stop that. But you, that's where you teach them, you're with me. When they get a little bit older and you start the obedience stuff and you can get all that stuff, you begin to have more tools. Sometimes you have to step out of the upland field, get that obedience stuff really in there, and then go back because you want that tool of we're together and I'm the colonel. But do not constantly tell them. Remember like going out on a date with your mom, telling you what to do and say it doesn't work. When you go out in the field, do not instruct unless you have to. If they're going about to get out of gun range, you've got to do something. And if, you know, they're chasing after something, you've got to do something. Other than that, develop that connection between the two of you. So when you kind of veer over and start heading to the left a little bit, they notice that and begin to do the same thing. you got to set that up early. And that's spend all the time in the world to do that. And let them learn about negotiating stuff. Let them, let them learn to, to, to look for things before they smash into them. You know, there can be uh, equipment, dangerous stuff in the grass, or there could be a fence that they can't see because of the bushes. And so as a young dog, in as safe a situation as possible, teach them to begin to take a little bit of responsibility for that, noticing those things themselves. When you're hunting, that is surely an issue. Um, I know there's people that, that hunt where there's coyote traps, where you, your dog could step into that, you know, that... There's all, that's a whole safety thing people need to deal with. But there's just a lot of things if you hunt. And also if you test it, you, you, it would be very nice if your dog at least had learned to have a certain sense of wariness before they just pile into something. And it's young dog people. You, that's your time to, to do that. I used to teach dogs to go through fences. I'd go to a barbed wire fence, and we're going down one side, and I'd cross over. And, you know, sometimes they, they're completely... Sh- flummoxed by that and other times they just go and then smack right into stuff (laughs) i make sure they're going slow so we don't have any ripping of skin but i teach them how to be able to be aware of a fence and go through it so there's so much teaching opportunities and the more time you spend teaching that dog the more connected you get now i'm not going to be able to i don't know maybe i can finish this thing today but that's a huge part of what you need to do not in the same place, different conditions, different sense. Just be patient. They may not be learning the glamorous feathers poofing through the air, guns going off thing yet, but they are learning some things that are going to be so very important to you. Now, for little guys, until you get the control, and by control I mean you've got basic obedience, they are collar conditioned, they understand that when you call them, they must come, um, that kind of thing. So now we're talking about dogs that are more seven, eight months old, maybe, in a conventional pointing lab program. You know, before, then now you can go back out and teach them what's gun range and teach them. I have a whole podcast on that. How to take responsibility themselves for staying in gun range so you are not constantly reminding them. If you have never taught them that, they aren't going to just noodle it out on their own. They're excited to be out there in the happiest place of their world. And if they don't have to pay attention to you, they will not. So without birds, you teach the dog how to go back to the, de- the, the how to keep a dog in gun range and teach them that. And that takes, I don't know, it takes, one, about a week or two to get it. 
And then you just hold them to it from then on until it becomes habit. Again, more reason to do this with consistency. So you make that a habit. Then you're not out there yelling, screaming, whistling, getting frustrated, and you're nagging the dog so bad they really start tuning you out. And if you've ever had that problem, you know that's what I'm, you don't have to have that. But you do have to teach them what the expectation is. And if you do it singularly, not with while you're teaching several other things, they will get that. And then from that day forward, that's the standard. Whether you're just taking a walk with the kids out in the field, whether you're hunting somewhere, whether you're getting ready to run a big test, the standard never changes. If you want something to be a habit in your dog, then it needs to be a habit of yours and the standard needs to never change. So you teach them that. Now I'm going to talk real briefly on the, uh, the woe stuff because there's all kinds of really interesting ideas and theories and ways of doing woe, um, which is, you know, do what works for you, but understand, and this is just my thinking now, other people look at me, I get the look, you know, which I've gotten a thousand times in my life with to hear this, but this has been my experience and with uh, lots of dogs and it's worked really well is, whoa, just like, let's go back to the, to the blind. When you say back to your dog or whatever you say, when you put your hand down and say back, all right, that means go the way you're pointed, right? But it also means a bunch of other stuff that you have over time through practice put into their head. So it means you got to go, you got to get up and take off and you've got to go in the direction I have you pointed pretty much. And you have to continue to go until you find the bird or you, uh, or I stop you. And all of that is in, in that one word. All of that is in there. You didn't teach it when you taught back, you just taught it off of fetch. Right? And then fetch means pick it up or get it, get it. And then you turn that around to back, which means, all right, now you're moving away from me and going to get something. So I want you to think about woe a little bit the same way. Woe means don't move your feet. But it means, it needs to mean more than that. Woe needs to mean that. And that's why for me, I do zero woe training in the field. Zero just like I don't do double T on blinds. <laughs> I, the double T is the building thing. The blinds is where I take the tools and go use them. So I don't ever do my building thing in the field where I use the tools. So on woe, first thing you have to do, and there's a whole process, is teach them that they don't sit down. So you don't do obedience and woe at the same time. At least I've never, you know, after I'm putting pressure on them to sit, I'm not going to put pressure on them not to sit. I don't think they can make that differential real good, particularly at the beginning. So I go, we go do woe, and it means, all right, stay standing. And for in the beginning, that's the hard part, right, is what? No, we've done so, especially if you've been working on all that other stuff. And yes, with retrievers, they can sit and still go out and point. But that's a balance thing that you have to do correctly. So we first teach them to stand, right? And then you teach them to stand while you step away. That's a big deal. And then we teach them to stand when you throw a bumper. 
and all this kind of stuff. And, and you teach them to, um, to resist temptation. So now you know that you got to stand there, and now you got to stand there and resist temptation. For me, for me, there's going to be somebody out there that's done amazing things and has done exact opposite. I never, when I throw in a bumper, throw in a bird, doing stuff, I never send them for it. They never pick it up because I never want to put that connection in their mind. Soon I'll get to go get it. Soon. They don't. If we're doing well stuff and I have them out in the yard and they're standing there and I'm throwing things around and get them with the hup, hup, hup and go get it and all this stuff that is not an official command, you know, they they got to stand there and they've got to resist temptation and send, give them every cue other than literally sending them. I don't ever, they just, because in the field, and this is real important, in the field when your dog goes on point and then everybody gets all worried, right? Because the dog wants to go get it, some do, um, or after a while or if it moves, they want to go get it. That's because you get to go get it has been... Well, sometimes, it, it, but it, not always, but it's some, because they've always been able to go get stuff. So it's like, well, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, shoot this, hurry, I want to go get this. So when you do woe stuff, there is never any go-getting. No, that's not a reward. <laughs> it's not a reward. Because out in the field, when that dog goes on point, that is not that dog's bird. It is my bird. And here's where you begin to teach. This is not your bird. Because it's not. When they're hunting for it, they don't get to go hunt the bird and then eat it. You get to go. They hunt the bird. You go eat it. That's how this works. And so it's not their bird. And in your woe stuff, that's where you begin to teach it. So don't send them or throw a happy bumper at the end or let them go get the stuff that you've been tempting them with. It's not yours. You just don't get it. It's so much simpler with a dog to get that across. I've heard so many people, well, how do you reward them? You know, it's like, I, well, I don't. <laughs> I just teach them to resist temptation, and then we're done, and we're happy, and everything's good. I'm not going to give them the temptation. I'm trying to teach them to resist. So that's a real important thing i found. Because, again, the reason you do that isn't because I suggest it. It's because out in the field, that bird is not theirs. And you, when you teach woe amongst all the other, you know, stand still and don't move, it's real great when you say woe and they freeze. But they need to freeze also, if, well, when they point and there's a bird. In their mind, they're on point. It's not their bird. That way to go creeping up on it, to try and push it up, to try and grab it, is not, that's, that's not yours. You can't, you can't do that. And so in your woe stuff, and there's a whole bunch of science to that stuff, right? But you, you teach them, hey, all this stuff happens, it's really tempting, never yours, never yours. So I would never give a dog a retrieve a reward, anything at the end. We're just done. I'm happy. Good dog. Let's go. And because woe is a real serious thing. And then you up the ante, of course. You, up, you, have, you have them around live birds. I think... You have to have them around live birds, so that's hard to do. You got to get some pigeons, tie them, tie their little feet with some string, and hook them onto a stick or something, <laughs> and put your dog on a wall. Bring the birds to them. Don't go up and wall your dog onto the birds already there. 
put them on a wall, bring them, and then let them get used to this, the sight of birds. Uh, that's why I go in the bird pen after I know I got wool really well. I go in there and go, there, look at that. They're walking around. You smell them. They're, they're making noise. If you ever have them in a pen with a pet pheasant that have blinders on, the pheasant walk right into them <laughs> or fly right into them. It, not your bird. Not your bird. So if you teach it in whichever means you can during this, that no matter what, it's not yours. Um, then you have that element when they go out there. Now you don't, when the dog goes on point, you don't have to start, one, you don't have to freeze because you can move, dance around and do whatever you would like. You don't have to stand next to them because they have been taught, hey, you're done. You're just done. That's not, now if the bird to everybody, well, what is the bird repositions or moves? If literally the bird has moved 20 feet down and tucked into something else, your dog, in all of your time in the upland field, should have learned that they have that freedom. Once you de-chase them, which is something that you do after they're no gun range and all this kind of stuff, once you de-chase them, then they can move to point the bird, but they can't move to go push it up because you let them do it and find out what the consequence for that is. So to kind of, there's a lot more to this, but... So how do you, it sounds all good, right? It sounds real neat and tidy. And if you start from the very beginning and go through this, it kind of stays that way. You don't have too many battles, really. But when a dog has been taught that when you go on point and you're, you know, you're done, it's not your bird, and then what happens is everybody uses woe to keep them from moving. <laughs> and uh, that's not the thing to do. Because now we're going to just do the work for them. We can't do that. We can't. We can't. Don't do the work for them. Because if you do the work for them, then you will always have to do the work for them. If you blow your sit whistle on a blind and then blow it again and again and again until they sit, you're just going, all right, I hear, come, please. You don't, you don't do that. You taught them, hey, when I blow the sit whistle, you sit. And they need to know the same thing here. When you go on point, you're done. So if they want to push that, let them. And then have a, a de-chase kind of consequence. It, depending on the dog, you have different things. But uh, if the dog wants to move on a wall, I, I, I let him go in training. I let him go. It's like, you want to make that mistake? Go right ahead. And <clears throat> then there's a consequence for it. And so then they're going, and if they have that consequence a couple times, and like all other consequences, it has to be high enough that they don't want to keep being subjected to it, always very dependent on the dog, then they're going to hold their point without you having to tell them all the time. And there's, again, there's a lot more to it, but that's the gist of it. And if you go into that approach, letting the dog learn all these things and then showing them when they are old enough and mature enough, here's kind of the rules now on this. And, and so you keep doing birds because it's real important. Unless we got a real problem. Chasing, not bringing it back, eating it, ripping the feathers off. Okay, now we're going to stop, go back into the yard, not out in the field, and we're going to teach you what the expectations are clearly and concisely. And folks, that isn't something you do on a young dog in a couple days. It's something that you rebuild and re-put in there in a way that's not, makes them dread any of this stuff. 
There's so many ways in an upland field if you put misunderstood pressure on them or get real heavy on it. And so you make going in there looking for birds and stuff, bring bad stuff, then they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to kind of quit on you, you know, blink birds and turn off of them, or they're going to go, heck with this, I am going to grab everything I can because I know he's just going to come after me and, and this is going to be horrible. So you get one of two extremes. Neither is necessary. Don't make them resentful and don't make them um, afraid. So you, that's why you slow this thing down and build this stuff up. But if you do it that way, then they go out and do the work and you don't have to keep telling them so then they're as good over in the upland field and the pointing deal as they are over in the retriever stuff. But it really is a slightly different approach than most people think. And it, for you guys with young dogs, if you start now, you will be so happy because you can literally, with a talented dog, just kind of smooth on into some really good behaviors, some really more finished stuff, um, because the dog is just real clear on stuff. Standards never change. They know what to do. They love doing it. They're not afraid. They're not resentful. They're clear on stuff and they're good pointers and all the other stuff at the same time. So I just wanted to get that one out. Like I said, if you're up in the Northwest, come to the seminar. We're going to talk about this stuff and demonstrate this stuff and see if we can get people to have a little more relaxed time when they're out in the upland field. So that's it for today. I don't know about next week. I'm going to try and get in. Next weekend is my Ironman again, and so I don't know if I'll be able to get out of bed after that. <laughs> I might have bitten off a little more than I can chew, I don't know. So I'll be doing that next weekend, and then I'll get back to this as soon as I can, then heading straight up to Washington for a seminar, and then I believe I'm judging their test as well. So I get to see a lot of everybody up there, and I hope everybody that's up in that area comes by and says hello. That's today's. I wish everybody well. Uh, spring is here. It is such a relief. And good luck on all the dog stuff that you do.